I had this idea in my head that grief had a timeline and so I needed to like get over it pretty quickly that if I kept talking about it nobody would understand or you know just the stigma that's around grief um so I actually was living a double life I to the outside world I was grieving and I was moving through the motions however I was not grieving at all. I didn't feel like I could grieve because I needed to make sure that my spouse was okay. I wanted to make sure that I could be his support. And I need, and I had a daughter that, you know, I needed to make sure that she was okay. And so I pushed my feelings completely down. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. I'm excited to have on the podcast today, Corshell Smith. Corshell is a mom of three, one of them being Brecklin. And the reason we are actually chatting today, uh, she created a nonprofit organization called Because of Brecklin in honor of her daughter. And we'll be talking more about her. She's also a life coach. Her specialty is grief from pregnancy loss. And I cannot wait to hear her story as you all listen to it as well. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am glad you reached out and want to share your story this way. Not, you know, I think podcasts are just one of the ways that people uh, either share their stories with grief or also how people use um, what one of the tools people use in their grief, you know, journey. So. Uh, Thank you for reaching out. Yes, of course. (laughs) So tell me then, you live in Utah. Where in Utah do you live? Um, I'm in northern Utah, more specifically the Ogden area. Okay, so let me see. I've been to Utah. My parents used to live in Salt Lake uh, City. They lived there, I think, for like four years or so, maybe. So how far from Salt Lake? That's my point. Salt Lake or Park City, Utah is like my point of reference. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So from Salt Lake, it's about 25-ish minutes north. Okay. Okay. North of of that. Oh, that's super close then. It's not. So it's just, yeah, that's it. Okay. Oh, sorry. The baby. It's so it's totally okay. I know we, we were just, just talking. talked about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like she has a sign on the door that says podcasting. Do not, do not disturb. What is it? What does it say? Yeah, podcasting. Do not come in. <laughs> Hi, buddy. <laughs> so we we were just talking before we started recording. She was sharing the names of her kids, and so tell us then because I just love how you what you just said about your youngest. So it's Cambria is your nine year old, then Brecklin who'd be five, mm-hmm. 
And then your little yeah. one, what is his name? The one his his name is Buddy. But it. his birth name is Elijah, but he has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Does he write Buddy? I know he's just he's little, so but does is he starting to write like his name and stuff? Does he write Buddy? On he, like his yeah, he'll tell you his name is Buddy, my name is Buddy. Yeah. Cutie. So, cutie. I love it. I'm so it was Buddy it lasts that came for in. a while. <laughs> It's adorable. Yeah, those, those little things are so cute, like when they do that. So um, so tell us then about then your grief journey. Well, how about this? Let's start with your motherhood journey. You have Cambria. So let's start with that. You and Mark, uh, yeah. your husband, have your three kids. And we use, you do have three, just two that are with you right now. So just tell us yes. about your uh, your journey as a mom, becoming a mom of Cambria, and then your pregnancy with Brecklin. And we'll go from there. Okay. Um, in two, well, Cambria was a surprise. I had always wanted to be a mom. Um, and she was just, it was her time to make her appearance on earth. And I got pregnant with her in 2011, early 2011, because she was born in December of 2011. And it was joyful. I loved it. I loved transitioning from being like just in charge of myself and alone. I mean, not really alone, but you know how you kind of cross that threshold into motherhood. And I loved it. I thought it was the most beautiful thing. And, um, then I'm trying to think exactly, they're four years apart, Cambria and Brecklin. And so, um, got pregnant with Brecklin four years later and everything was, was perfect with really both pregnancies and Brecklin was born in May, 2016 and passed the same day that she was born. And you mentioned it was unexpected. So there was no sign when she was in utero that there was any distress or anything like that when you were pregnant with her? No, nothing. She was, I had the like most perfect pregnancy. She was very, very healthy. All of her tests came back normal. Just, it, we were completely, completely blindsided. We really didn't know that something was wrong until probably two minutes before we went in, we went back to the OR for an emergency C-section. Oh, okay. So in that moment, when you went into that emergency C-section, then you knew that there was some distress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until then. Okay. So then when she was born, um, then she passed away 10 hours later. I, can't imagine you as a, you know, the, of course the illusion, everything that all the emotions and everything that come up, uh, were you there with family or just you and Mark? How was, what was the dynamic in the hospital? Um, when she was born? I, I personally wanted it very differently with Cambria. We had a party, literally a party, like everybody and their dog was at the hospital. Like they were all present when Cambria was born. And so I wanted a more intimate birth and I just wanted it to be Mark and I and Brecklin and so nobody was I did have a doula but nobody was there other than Mark and my doula 
And so then your doula then when my mom, my sister's assistant, I'm like, my tongue got twisted because my mom actually did get her license also to be a doula. My mom has passed away, but she was, um, she did have certification for doula, but my sister is a, a doula. She actually just delivered a baby this week as we're recording this um, in May. Oh, uh, but how, yeah. So, yeah, she loves it. Now, how was your doula's role then in that pregnant in that delivery since you ended up having a C-section? Was just she by your side? Was she mainly helping Mark? Like, what was that dynamic? And I love that you're sharing this about doulas because, you know, sometimes people don't know that they could have this additional help in their birth. Yeah. Well, my poor doula, she was still going through school, getting her certificate. And so I was her first client, that poor thing. Oh, my heart still goes oh out to her. Gosh. We actually still keep in contact because obviously now we have this like crazy bond, but she went from helping me and they only allowed one person back in the OR. So naturally Mark came back in the OR with me and she waited in our room, but, um, she went from helping me to, you know, more of helping Mark get in, get in his um, like PPE and, so that he could go back with me. She gave me a kiss on the forehead before I went back and said, everything's going to work out. Everything will be just fine. Just remember to stay calm and I'll see you when you're done. And then um, Mark is actually the one who ended up going back into the room and saying things aren't good. Brecklin is, is very sick and is probably not going to make it. And she then became comfort and support for Mark while I was still trying to wake up from the ketamine. And then as Mark made phone calls to, you know, family and as they came up, I re I remember her, you know, kissing me goodbye and saying, I will be back. But right now it's time for me to step away. Your mom and your sister are here um, and other family is on the way. Mark is also still here. If you need anything before I come back, please call. And so she she left and let us be. And, and she did return later that evening and then even the next day. She let you be with your family in that moment of of grieving. Um, yeah. So take us then into this journey. Then here you are. Uh, leave. You know, you leave the hospital. You don't have your daughter with you. Or did that? Were, were you able to plan any type of memorial? What were the circumstances then after her passing? She passed around noon and we kept her with us the rest of that evening. And then I wasn't ready to be discharged. You know, that day I had just had a C-section. So I had to stay um, a, an extra day. And so I decided to send her to the hospital's cold room overnight. And then in the morning, they brought her, her body back up to me. And then the mortuary came to get her. It was about 24 hours after she had passed because they came about noon the next day. And then um, I was discharged and we did 
you know, the, the planning of the memorial service and the funeral and stuff after I was discharged. The only thing we really had to discuss in the hospital is which mortuary was going to come to the hospital and um, care for her body. Okay. That's good that it wasn't too many decisions because I, you know, imagine in those moments, like you're still like, oh, you know, you're still in shock and having to make so many decisions around, you know, your daughter's, you know, process of what it is that's going to happen. It just must be so overwhelming. Now, was Cambria with you? Did she, did she come with any of the family members to the hospital? Did you guys wait to tell her when you went home? What was it? She was only four. So, um, how was it for you then telling your four-year-old daughter that her little sister had passed away? She, yeah, because of some abandonment issues that she was already dealing with as a young child, we decided not to have her come up to the hospital until Brooklyn's body was completely removed from the hospital. It was, it was the hardest decision that we've ever made. And I think Mark and I both still wonder if that was the right decision, but in the moment it was, and we, we didn't want to give her something and then take it away. And so we, we waited until Brecklin was gone and then we allowed her to come up. She didn't know anything. We asked family not to tell her anything and she came up and I gave her her big sister gift and she went and changed into her dress. And then, um, I told her, I was like, come sit, come sit with me. Um, by that time I was out of bed. And so I went and sat in the rocking chair and I just put her on my lap and I, you know, I explained to her our religious beliefs and what we believe in that she was only here. She only needed to be here for a short amount of time. And that, um, that mommy did have Brecklin. She's not in my belly anymore, but unfortunately she's not coming home with us just, you know, on a four-year-old level as, as best a four-year-old can grasp something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I, to be honest, I don't think she really understood the full concept of it until um, we did let Cambria see Brecklin after we had put her in her casket and kind of, we call it tucking her into bed after we had we had tucked her in forever. We did let Cambria kind of peek in and see her. Um, but that, that's the extent of it. Mm-hmm. It definitely, it's like you said something so key, which is that was the best decision you could do make at that time, you know, it was the best you knew what to do at that time. And, and that is so important for anybody that is going through things, whatever decision you make, it's the right decision. It may, you know, in hindsight, you might think like, well, we could have that. But in that moment, like when you're kind of grasping at whatever strings are around in your own journey, like anything you decide in that moment, it's what is the best in that moment. And that I think allows uh, as a grieving person, and I'm sure you know this too, going, you know, you know, helping other grieving parents after pregnancy loss is that, that they gives them a little sense of, um, less guilt or, or so forth in that journey. Do you, would you agree with that? I agree. Yeah, I do. It hasn't been until just recently that Cambria really has asked those tough questions being nine years old. Mom, why, 
why don't I have any pictures with her? And, you know, mm. so, and it, and it's a good, it, they're good questions to open up conversation of sometimes we have to make hard decisions in life and whatever is, feels right in the moment is the right decision. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So here you are now then starting your grief journey. Had you grieved before, like, had you had any major losses in your life uh, prior to Brecklin's death that kind of became stepping stones for your grief journey? Or was this like, here you go, lesson, university degree here with this bang. Is that kind of what it was? Yep. It was totally like out of left field, had no idea about grief at all. Had never experienced it never needed to cope with it, like nothing. And then it was just like, here I am and I'm coming at you full force. So how did you navigate your grief journey? What were the tools you used? Did you have anything? You mentioned faith before as to what you were kind of sharing with, you know, Cambria when you were explaining a little bit about what had happened to her sister. Was faith one of the things you held on to? Family, friends, uh, journaling, tell us, tell us, tell us. In the beginning, faith was the biggest thing. Um, but I had this idea in my head that grief had a timeline. And so I needed to like get over it pretty quickly that if I kept talking about it, nobody would understand or, you know, just the stigma that's around grief. Um, So I actually was living a double life. I, to the outside world, I was grieving and I was moving through emotions. However, I was not grieving at all. I didn't feel like I could grieve because I needed to make sure that my spouse was okay. I wanted to make sure that I could be his support. And I need, and I had a daughter that, you know, I needed to make sure that she was okay. And so I pushed my feelings completely down, like all the way down. I didn't deal with the grief at all. And then we decided that we wanted to try for another baby. So I wanted to make sure that my body was healthy for that. And so heaven forbid, I let grief back into my life and deal with it while I'm trying to have a baby because who know, who knows if that will cause a miscarriage or anything. And so we, we get pregnant and I wanted to be healthy for that. And then between not dealing with grief, I think was the root cause of the problem. And then after I had my, my son, I had really bad postpartum depression, which I think stemmed from not grieving. And it, It was not until October of 2019 that I really, really grieved, that I actually, for the first time in my life, let myself grieve my daughter. And, you know, by that time, it was three and a half years ago. And yeah, so I masked it. I didn't deal with it in the beginning. And like I said, it wasn't until 2019 when I finally started to grieve. And the first thing I did was I actually hired a coach and then she 
gave me the tools to grieve. And so I've, I've done journaling. I've done dance therapy. Um, just, and, and finding kind of just that tribe of people who are further into their lost journey and still grieve every day because you will, you will forever grieve. There's no timeline. It doesn't ever end. And, and thank you for sharing that you had mastered at the beginning too, because that is important to know. Like, I feel it has to come out somehow, right? Like somewhere. So, and sometimes it comes out, like you said, in this case, three years later, other times grief comes out as anger. Grief can come out masked as other things, right? Um, and people don't really um, realize it, that that's what it is. And um, and again, this doesn't mean that, ev- again, nobody grieves the same way. So it doesn't mean that everybody to grieve has to cry necessarily or, you know, or do the journaling or things like that in their mourning process. But, um, but somehow or another, acknowledging that something hard happened and acknowledging those emotions is the first real step and acceptance of that reality of that reality, I think is the, the biggest uh, step for, you know, starting your grief journey. Yeah, I agree. Definitely acceptance, even just if you can't verbalize it, at least just writing it, something Mm -hmm. about just being able to let your body release those words, at least starts the process of it. And acceptance that it happens, it doesn't mean that you're happy that it happened. It's the fact that this is the new reality. This is the reality. This happened. Now what do I do? Right. Um, yeah, it's 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 huge. Now tell us uh then, so here you are, you when you became a mom then to Buddy, is that's really when then you addressed really your your grief was in that midst of your postpartum depression and your, and your, and your grief then was able to kind of come to the surface. Um, you had your coach to help you guide you through this and navigate this journey. And it is a journey, uh, with sometimes no destination, (laughs) with sometimes no destination, Just (laughs) just keep going. Yeah. You know how they say in yoga that yoga is a practice? I don't know if you've ever done yoga. They say yoga is a practice. Like you're literally just practicing. And that's how I feel with grief. It's it's a journey because it's just a journey. You just keep on kind of going and going and going. And it does change. Yeah, the, I agree. It changes. <laughs> yeah. So in this, you you seek help. Now, how was Mark's, cause you, Mark's um, grief journey a little bit? Because you said you were taking care of him. Was, did he have then his period of being able to express his emotions? He grieved, like you mentioned earlier, some people think that like you just need to cry and cry and cry. And because I had never experienced it before, I, that's what I expected was him to just kind of go into a hole and not want to get out of bed and just cry and cry and cry. And so when he didn't grieve like that, I was like, okay, what's wrong with you? Do you even care? Do you even miss her? And then it started to affect me as well. But I I later found out that everybody grieves differently. And he has since 
then we've communicated that he didn't dare grieve in front of me because he wanted to be my support. And so when he would have to drive to the office or, or, you know, drive from the office back home, he would grieve alone in the car. Um, and so he really, he just grieved on, on his own, in his own time. And we, you know, we have yet to really talk about how he grieved. To me, it doesn't matter. We all grieve differently. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure, you know, even five years later that, hey, are you doing okay? Especially around the holidays or when it's Brecklin's birthday. I just, we do a quick check-in. Are you doing okay? How are you feeling? Do you need some time to grieve? How would you like to grieve this time? Sometimes there's been many years where on Brecklin's birthday, Mark just wants to be with us. He doesn't want anybody to come over. He doesn't want to do anything, but he doesn't want us to leave either. He just wants to be in the house together. That's the way that he, you know, sometimes that he grieves best is with just us being around him. And so it's just having that open communication is really, really good, at least for him and I, because he grieves so privately and I grieve out loud. Like, if I'm in the grocery store and something triggers me, I'm just going to cry. I'll, I'll just do it right there in the grocery store. Whereas he'll wait until he gets to the car. So we, ju- we grieve very differently. But it's interesting because you didn't, you, it was three years that you held it in. And it was then after that, then now you grieve out loud, right? So it's like, yeah, so interesting. I like that grieve out loud. Um, I, we should make it just like I make this t-shirt. Maybe we should make a t-shirt with that logo. <laughs> you could make one. Sign me up. I want to wear one. So uh, thank you again for sharing that and for sharing also um, a little bit of Mark's journey. But, you know, like you said, everybody grieves so differently. And the fact that it's his story also to tell, right? But I just kind of wanted to just get an idea since you were mentioning that you had basically held your grief for, you know, um, three years in. And so just was wondering how he had expressed his grief. So thanks for sharing that. Now let's go into then how then you transitioned to becoming now a life coach and specializing in grief. And then how, because of Brecklin was developed and the mission behind that. So, uh, which one came first, the chicken or the egg, uh, in this case, was it the website first and then it was it, you know, the, or nonprofit and then your grief coaching or grief coaching first, what was first? It was the nonprofit first. Okay. So tell us about your nonprofit. So I am the founder of Because of Brooklyn. We are a nonprofit whose mission it is to get a bear 
into the hands of those who experience pregnancy, infant, and child loss. And this all came to be because I, I can't even remember the timeline, but shortly after Brecklin had died, a family member gave me an unstuffed bear that I could take to any Build-A-Bear and have it stuffed. And she told me um, that she would hope that this bear would be a memory of Brecklin. And to be honest, I was like, this is, mm. this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> and mm. I, I probably let it sit for a couple weeks. And then it was summer was coming. She, Brecklin passed in May. And so it was like mid June or July when I was like, you know what? I'll just go stuff this bear and she can come with us on all the adventures that we were going to do at least of a representation of Brecklin would have been here with us. And the first place that she went was to Seattle with us. We went and visited Seattle and it was so fun. I just put her in my little backpack as we rode our bikes along the water or, you know, as we were going on adventures and it was fun to see that, you know, although she was gone, she, there was still this item that memorialized her. And I, I loved it. I loved that she was kind of just Brecklin's feeling. And over time, um, she brought, she started to bring healing and she started to bring comfort. And she, now we call her Breck and Breck is part of our family. And so when Brecklin's angelversary, first angelversary was coming around, I asked myself, what can I do to remember her on her special day? And I decided to do the same and give unstuffed bears to the hospitals that they can hand out. And it was small. We just asked family, since you can't buy Brecklin a birthday present, would you mind giving us some money so that we can buy all these bears? Well, it snowballed from there and we just, we have loved it so much. And then the community loved it and people who have received the bears love it. And it just, as it grew, we've just organically let it grow. Like if, if we only did it one time, that would have been fine with us. But now the hospitals call every year. Do you have more bears? Can I get more bears? And now we're just known that if you need a bear, you come to us and we will get you a bear. And they're always unstuffed unless for some reason you are not within, you know, the vicinity of a Build-A-Bear, then I will go stuff it at my local Build-A-Bear for you and give you a stuffed bear. And we've had to do that a couple times, but most of the time the bears come unstuffed so that these families who receive them can, some people put a pair of socks in there. Some people put a hat. Some people put a binky. Some people put their baby's heartbeat in there. So it's whatever, whatever you want to put in with the stuffing. And also 
we call it birthing your bear. You get to birth your bear and bring it to life. And so that has a little bit more meaning. And we just hope that these bears bring as much comfort as my bear brought to me. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. When I went onto your website, I was like seeing that and I'm like, that is just so thoughtful. And it just, like you said, everybody can kind of make it be what they want it to be and represent for them. And, um, and from what I see on your Instagram posts too, like you, you have then the bear in the family pictures and things like that too, um, kind of holding space, right. For, for Brecklin as well. Um, how do you then talk with now, uh, now that Cambria is nine and then Buddy, does he understand that he has a, an angel sister? I don't think he fully understands. He will see pictures of her and know that that's baby sister or that's baby Brecklin. I don't think he fully grasps, you know, that she will never be here or that she was once here and not anymore. I also don't think he realizes that he is the baby, that she is actually older. Mm. But even for me, I, like when I remember her, I think of her as, as a 10 pound baby. I, I don't think of her as a five-year-old running around. And so in my mind, she will always be the baby, even though I have one after her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah she will for the you remember the song like forever young for i don't know if you're you're not <laughs> as old as i am but you know what i'm talking about i do remember forever that song though young i want to live <laughs> yeah so she'll be forever young that's how i felt my sister passed away she was 18 when she passed away so i'm like i always think i like well she'll be forever young you know <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah so that that feeling so um so then when he sees the Bre uh, brecklin bear breck bear what does what does he think of the bear coming along uh, to all the adventures of the family? Does that or or what does Cambria say about it? Oh, he knows. He knows that that is Breck Bear, um, and that's the other thing. I don't think he realizes that it represents his sister, but we'll get there one day. And yes. Cambria just yeah. adores her. Cambria adores Breck. It's such a, a good is always way of being making able sure that Brecklin. Yeah. Go ahead. There's a, there was an echo, so that's why you heard. Me. Go ahead. Continue, Crochelle. Continue. Oh, sorry. Cambria always makes sure that Breck is with us. Um, we Breck even has her own little wardrobe, and so Cambria likes to go choose clothes for Breck, and it's just like her little her little buddy. Um, there are some families who there's one little family, their bear, um, literally the daughter takes her everywhere. Like she plays in the sand with her. She goes in, you know, down the slides and in the play gyms and stuff. And I have, I, I am so protective of my bear that I don't let Cambria take her out very often and roughhouse with her and get her dirty and stuff. But I, you know, I do allow Cambria to, to change her clothes or she likes to dance with her or she likes to tuck her in 
the bed, which is just putting her on the couch for the night. She likes to do all of those things. Oh, it's so sweet because it just, again, the relationship continues, even though there's this inanimate object, right? But it has that representation of what that means, of that bond continuing, um, you know, even after loss. I'm, um, I'm a volunteer in a nonprofit organization that helps grieving families. And actually, when the kids, it's always with children. And when they join the program, they always gift them a, a bear, a stuffed bear, Um when they joined the program of, uh, yeah, of this nonprofit. So, um, I can, I, I, I can relate to what you're, um, what you're doing, but I love the idea of this unstuffed bear and that process that the family can go through and that you can add this little added, you know, meaningful things if you want it inside, uh, the, the heartbeat that is, that that's beautiful. Like, you know, the little recording that they do at build a bear and stuff. That's, uh, what a beautiful sentiment behind that. Um, now tell us then now your journey also now as a, as a life coach and, and helping people in their grief journey as well. This journey is fairly newer. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I, hired a coach and then I hired another coach and another coach and eventually it was almost like the universe was just like this is what you need to do and I had been you know asked before do you help people through this and I was like no way I I do not and then the more that people started ask the more I felt this tug especially for grief I don't feel like there's enough coaches for grief out there because it's hard. I mean, you know, it's, it's not fun and it's hard, but it's rewarding as well. And so I just, I asked my coach one day, like, how do I do this? And she asked me, well, do you give advice to anybody who has already lost a child? And I was like, well, yeah, like my best friend actually lost a baby, uh, as well, two years after, after Brecklin. And so I've helped her through her journey. And I was like, yeah, I, I do this already. And she's like, then why not make a career out of it? Why not continue to do it? And I was like, Oh, you're, you're right. And it kind of fell in the, I like to call it divine timing because, um, at the time my job also made some some shifts and they wanted me to uh, start working more hours and I wasn't willing to because I have such a young family and my first priority is to be a mother to them that that is my personal um, priority and I wasn't willing to take more time away from them and so it was all just divine timing work was pulling me one way and I was pushing against it. And, and this was just tugging at my heart. And so I, you know, I said, okay, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be and quit my job and got, you know, I, I had been through the training. I had started the training anyway, and just kind of put it out there to see if anything was going to fall into my lap. And 
boy did it fall into my lap. It's definitely <laughs> kind of like the nonprofit. It is just growing on its own, on its own organically and I love it and I will continue to do it as long as there continues to be grief in the world. Now that I'm in the space, there's no place else I would rather be. And it's so it's so true what you say. Like I the same for me when I kind of was tugged in that direction of helping in the grief world as well. I felt I didn't know, first of all, that there was even grief coaching. You you knew because you had received a grief coach yourself, but I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that there were grief coaches until I started kind of feeling <laughs> that need to help others because I realized I'm like, wait, I've been, I've been helping people and grief journeys of different types, not necessarily of death, all pretty much all my life. You know, anytime a relationship would end from a friend, you know, I'd be the person they'd call <laughs> for advice or, you know, or things like that. Um, just the listening ear throughout my lifetime. So sometimes we've already been doing that role and it's, um, it just kind of then kind of like, like you said, just flourishes or, or we give it a name of something we've already been doing. So, um, so that's beautiful yeah. that you do this. So, <laughs> that's beautiful. Now, um, to work with you, then people can to work with you. Do they also go in the because uh, because of Brecklin website, or do how do they find you to work alongside you? Yes, yeah, so you can find um, the because of Brecklin website, and just we have a contact us form. Just put your information there and put that you're interested in um, grief coaching or you know you can message our directly message our instagram or facebook as well perfect thank you now Corshell, are there any other words you'd like to share with the listeners or any other stories or things you want to say that i have not asked before we close off I think the biggest thing, um, like the one last thing that I want to leave people with is you, after you go through grief and you're, you're really hit with it, you can still honor them and miss them and be happy at the same time. And I didn't know that you could do that simultaneously. So for anybody who is listening that doesn't know that, you can be happy again and still honor your loved one that has passed. It's so true. Like sometimes people don't, don't understand that those two emotions can coexist, right? That joy and sadness can coexist at the same time. And isn't it weird that they can coexist? Like what an oxymoron that is. It is. It is. But it's like, it, because it's also instances, right? Like we forget that in life, we have so many different moments. I think of like, for example, our kids or even just ourselves. Um, let's say we get back from work and like, how was your day? Oh my gosh, I was horrible. Da, 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 da. And we completely talk about our whole day, our whole, whatever, eight hours, let's say at work or kids with eight hours at school. They sum it up into one single experience in that one moment makes it be for whatever the whole day was. I'm like, wait, was the whole day that way? Or was it like a 30 minute span of that 
you know, incident. <laughs> and that's the thing in our day, we can have all these different emotions. We can have sadness. We can laugh. We can be angry. We can, you know, we can be, you know, all these different things. We could be frustrated. We could be, th- but uh, yet we sum them up by just one. <laughs> oh, so true. I definitely agree with, <laughs> with that. That is very, very true. So, so yeah, so then that's, that's kind of how grief is. There can be all this diverse emotions in it and, uh, and it doesn't all have to be of, of sadness. There could be joy when we remember our loved ones too. So, um, so just, yeah, hold on to that. So thank you for those, those words and for sharing that. And, and for this again, organization that you have of helping other grieving families with your nonprofit, as well as you being a coach and helping grieving mainly moms or do you also help dads? Is it mainly grieving mothers? Moms and dads. The, um, the mothers, they seem to, at least from what I have found in my community, they seem to, um, go to like the local lost chapter, their meetings and stuff. I work a great deal with men that is the majority of my clients but um men and women that's wonderful thank you thank you once again thank you thank you again so much for choosing to listen today I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.